It is a joy for uh, me to be here this morning uh, with my family. Um, I have to acknowledge my, my wife, uh, my sweet wife, uh, Zaneda, and, and our children. Uh, I came in and I said, we took up a whole row, <laughs> actually two rows, and, uh, but that's all right. But it is a joy to be here. Um, I've gotten to know Jim over the last, almost last year. I had some great times with Jim, and, and um, I think we've met at Starbucks. And uh, we've met at, uh, did we go to Terreros? Mexico, yeah, Terreros, yeah. So, so, uh, so Jim and I just kind of hang out and eat together. And uh, so it's been good talking uh, to Jim and getting to know him. And as you all already know, Jim is a good brother. And uh, he loves you all uh, so much. And uh, he cares for you all uh, as his sheep. And so I count it as an honor to be able to stand before you and open up uh, the Word of God. Um, this morning. And so if you would, take your Bibles and turn to Matthew. In uh, your bulletin, it says Matthew 21. We're going to be in 21, but I'm going to start in 20. We're going to be in Matthew 20 and 21. 20 and 21. Let me pray, and then we're going to dive into the Word of God. Father, you are gracious and kind to us, and we thank you Uh, that we can gather here in this space and to sing uh, to you, uh, dear Father. Uh, We thank you that you are mighty to save, uh, dear Lord. And we thank you, uh, dear Lord, that we can pray. Thank you for my brother leading us uh, this morning, uh, dear God. And I do pray, as he just prayed, that you enable us to reach out to men and women and to love them with good deeds and the gospel. And so help us to do that, uh, dear Father. Uh, But dear Father, we come to the time in this worship service where we want to give ourselves to the Word of God. And dear Father, we come, as the disciples said to you in John 6, we have nowhere else to go, for you have the words of eternal life. And so we ask, dear Father, that you be with us right now as we journey together this morning through Matthew chapter 20 and verse 20, 20 and chapter 21. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, the title of the message is Misplaced Hopes in the Messiah. Misplaced Hopes in the Messiah. I'm originally from Maryland, and I am a Maryland Terrapins fan. And, uh, oh, oh, hey, wait, wait a minute. Hold on now. Okay, okay. And so, uh, so yeah, I'm a Maryland Terrapins fan. My wife's from Baltimore, Maryland. And... Um, and uh, I was hoping, I was hoping that the Terrapins would win the national championship. Uh, but unfortunately, a team that we used to always beat in the ACC, and I mean that always beat, uh, North Carolina won. North Carolina won the championship, and that uh, was a great game. But I really had a desire to see the Terrapins cut down the nets uh, this year, but it did not happened, and my hopes were dashed in the first round. Uh, Maryland lost early, but I, I had a hope that they would win. And I'm pretty confident in this room there are men and women who have hopes, and you have dreams, you have desires in many areas of life. Those hopes or dreams could be for your marriage, for your kids, your finances, could be for work, could be for loved ones, teenagers, parenting. Future decisions, if you're single, you may have hopes for the world, for the United States. And some of those hopes are very strong. 
so strong to the point where you think that God is going to fulfill your hopes. And he may, but he may not. This morning, as we look into Matthew chapter 20 and chapter 21, we're going to see that Jesus Christ is not obligated to answer any of our hopes, any of our dreams, or any of our desires. He's under no obligation whatsoever. But that doesn't mean you don't hope. and You don't dream in terms of what could God do. Does it mean you say no to those desires that you have to see God work? And I'm going to talk more about this later, but that you and I just hold those hopes loosely. Hold our hopes loosely. And while we hold our hopes loosely, what you and I can hold on to is the faithfulness of God's track record. And God is faithful, and so we can hold on to the hopes of Scripture. And he will fulfill those. And we're going to see that as we walk through Matthew chapter 20 and 21 this morning. You and I are going to join Jesus on this journey from Jericho to Jerusalem. On this journey, we're going to bump into some folk who had misplaced hopes in the Messiah. They had a misplaced hope in the Messiah. And we're going to learn from their misplaced hopes. And I pray that you're encouraged this morning to hold on to Christ. And so I'm going to say what I'm about to say throughout the message. And so I pray that you can remember Jesus is obligated to obey his father's plans. And he is not obligated to fulfill our plans and our dreams and our desires. And so let's allow Matthew 20 to help us out. As you already know, Jesus is in the final week of his earthly ministry. And this ministry is going to culminate with his crucifixion. Then he's going to rise from the dead. The week is known as Passion Week or Holy Week. And one writer said about this, that Jesus Christ truly revealed his passion for us in the suffering he willingly went through on our behalf. And so we're going to start in Matthew chapter 20, verse 17 and 19. 17 and 19. We are going to act like we're part of this great crowd. This great crowd that's going to journey with Jesus. And verse 17 says this. And as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside. And on the way, he said to them, see, we are going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and he will be raised on the third day. In chapter 20, we're going to look at three conversations on this journey out of Jericho. The first one is with the disciples, and Jesus speaks directly to the disciples. And what he does is he shares some detailed information as to what's going to take place as they head to Jerusalem. This will be his last journey to Jerusalem, but this journey is like none other. In this journey, Jesus says that the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests. You will remember that the chief priests and the 
Pharisees wanted to kill Jesus. They wanted to arrest him. Throughout God's plan, they were not able to, but now's the time. Now is the time when he will be delivered over to them. But Jesus also tells the disciples that he's going to be condemned to death. He says the Gentiles will mock, flog, and crucify him, and then he will be raised on the third day. This should be nothing new to the disciples. Jesus was dropping hints throughout his entire ministry. You remember what he said in Mark 10, 45, for even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Or you remember what he said in John 2 to the Jews? He said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. And so Jesus was dropping hints along the journey. Christ Church at Roseville, you, may you be encouraged that Jesus took this journey for your justification. Jesus took this journey for your peace. Because of Jesus Christ, you have peace with God. It is because of Jesus Christ, by trusting in him, you can be at peace with the living God. I thank God that this morning none of us journeyed here to get at peace with God. We're at peace with God, and so we can sing, and so we can pray, and so we can hear the preaching of the word of God, not to pay Christ back. We can never do that. But we have been justified. And so he was delivered for your justification. He was condemned for your justification. He was mocked and flogged and crucified for your justification. And so on this holy week, as we think about it, Not only think that, wow, what a painful death Jesus went through on my behalf. Thank you. But think about the fact that, think of the depth of our sin. And sin has corrupted us to our core. Today and this entire week, don't just hear, horrible way to die, Jesus. Think about the fact your actions, your motives, and mine, your thoughts, your internet searches, your glances, your use of time, money, your actions in private, who you really are when no one is watching Christ took the journey for your justification. Verse 17, excuse me. Verse 17 tells us that he took the 12 aside. He took them aside and he gave them the big picture. But there's going to come a point when Jesus Christ will have to separate himself from the group. They're going to journey together, but there has to be a point in time where there's going to be a separation. The Savior must separate himself from the sinners on this journey. They cannot all go to the cross. Only Christ. Only Christ can do that. Christ was going to journey with them because he loved them and because he loved you. But he had to separate himself from them because he had to die for them. Oh, but be encouraged. The separation that took place when Jesus was delivered, when he was condemned, when he was mocked, and when he was flogged on account of your sin and my sin. Be encouraged that now in Christ... He will never separate himself from you. Romans 8 tells us that there will never be a point where he will separate himself from you because of his love. He did it once. He will not do it again. 
May you be encouraged that his death paid for your sins in the past, present, and the future. Rest your soul in what the Bible says, what Christ has done, not how you feel about your sin, but rest in what he says. I paid for your sins. Rest in the fact that if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins. Say, I don't feel it. It's, it's not about feelings. It's about what Christ has done. Be encouraged. Be encouraged and understand that Christ separated himself to down the cross for your sins. And understand that Christ did not just separate himself so that you and I could trust in him and then just live a life of sin, shame, and confession. That's not why he died. He separated himself. He separated himself so that we could live. John 8.36 says, If the Son sets you free, you're free indeed. Romans 6 says to us, and also in 1 John, what shall we say? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How can we who died to sin live any longer in it? Christ separated himself so that you and I could be separated from sin. That's why it says in 1 John, walk in the light as he is in the light. And if you do fall and if you do sin, that's where 1 John 1, 9 comes in. But he has separated himself to set you and I free to live. And so Jesus pulls the 12 aside and he gives them the big picture. Jesus Christ knows exactly what he is going to do. So remember, Jesus is obligated to obey his father's plans. He's journeying to Jerusalem to die in place of your sins. But he's not obligated to obey the misplaced hopes and plans of his followers or would-be followers. We lean in a little bit now to Mama Zebedee. Matthew 20, 20 through 23. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, what do you want? She said to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit one on your right hand and one on the left in your kingdom. Jesus answered, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? And they said to him, we are able. He said to them, you will drink my cup, but to sit on my right hand and my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my father. So Mama Zebedee kneels before Jesus and speaks on behalf of her two boys, James and John. Any mother probably would have done this. I know my wife would speak up for our sons, Matthew and Zachariah. But Mama Zebedee speaks up. I don't know if she heard what Jesus said or her boys came back and they gave Mama the rundown of what Jesus said, but she goes and speaks to Jesus. She wants her sons to have the place of honor on the right and on the left. It's interesting here that Mama is actually breaking up the inner circle of the twelve with this request. You remember it was Peter, James, and John, the inner circle that went up on the Mount of Transfiguration. But here it is. Mama says, I want my boys on your right and on the left. 
Mama hadn't worked out the Trinity. It wasn't Jesus, James, and John. That's not it, Mama. She didn't get it right. But Mama had a misplaced hope. She had a misplaced hope. It's interesting here because Jesus' response is directed at James and John as if he bypasses what Mama has to say and goes directly to James and John. You do not know what you're asking. You do not know. They probably did not grasp the information that he shared with them in verses 19, 17, and 19 that we just looked at. They probably did not connect the dots that the journey to Jerusalem was not a journey to the throne. It was a journey to be slaughtered and then exalted. Mama had a misplaced hope. Her hope was that going to Jerusalem, he would be king, but he was going to Jerusalem to be killed. Mama's hope was in the right person, but her understanding of how the kingdom would come and when it would come were misplaced. Christ Church at Roseville, hope in Jesus Christ. Beloved, hope in Jesus Christ. Christ. Hold tight to Jesus Christ's perfect track record of faithfulness to every promise and command in Scripture. It is beautiful because this story takes us all the way back to Genesis 3.15. And you remember in Genesis 3.15, God, as he was handing out judgment, says to the serpent, There's going to come one who's going to crush your head. And one commentator said the rest of the Bible is a commentary on who is the one that will crush Satan's head. This week is the answer. Here he comes. Here comes the one who's going to crush Satan's head. Hope in Christ. He is faithful. If he has kept what he said back in Genesis 3.15 and brought his son into the world, he will keep every promise of his word. Trust his word. Hope in Christ. But what about your hopes? Once again, hold them loosely. Hold them loosely. And what you think God will do or desire to do, hold them loosely. Well, our story continues, and the journey to Jerusalem has begun. Jesus is accompanied by a great crowd, a great crowd. And as the crowd is heading out, two blind men cry out to Jesus, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. Lord, have mercy on us, son of... Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. It is interesting that the crowd rebuked them, these two blind men, telling them to be silent. The ones who did not have to deal with being blind, the ones who could see are telling them to be quiet. But here are these two men saying, Lord, have mercy on us. It's beautiful because these two men were not going to allow the rebukes 
of the crowd stopped them. Because their hope was not in the crowd. Their hope was in Jesus Christ. Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. It's interesting here. They're blind, so they don't know where Jesus is. So they're using their voice. Lord, 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 have mercy on us. I love verse 22. It says, and stopping. Jesus and stopping. See, the crowd rebukes the Messiah stopped. I wonder this morning if there's anyone here who needs Jesus to desperately, you desperately need Jesus, you need Jesus to stop. You need Jesus to stop. Maybe you think the Lord doesn't have time for my request. But I need mercy in my marriage. He doesn't have time for my request, but I need some mercy in parenting these kids. He doesn't have time for my request, but I could really use some mercy with some decisions that we have to make. And maybe you think the Lord's not concerned that we're just getting by. He, he's more concerned about the lost people in the 1040 window. Jesus stopped for these men. See, these men had a proper placed hope, and they asked Jesus. Jesus was under no obligation to fulfill their request. He did not have to. He could have kept going. But he stopped, and he had pity on them, and he touched their eyes. And immediately they recovered their sight, and it says they followed him. Any answer to your call is an act of grace and mercy. Christ Church Roseville, be encouraged. The Lord does not categorize prayer requests like we do. A request to heal a broken arm will be heard just as a request to heal a broken city. Lord, have mercy. And so these men who were once blind, they joined Jesus. And this great crowd is now journeying with Jesus to Jerusalem. Now, some of the people that have joined us in the crowd, we've got the disciples. Mama Zebedee's with us. We've got some Galilean pilgrims. And we've got the two men who were formerly blind. We've got some other people. But we're all heading to Jerusalem. Remember, Jesus is obligated to obey his father's commands, but he is not obligated to obey the misplaced hopes and plans of his followers or would-be followers. So we come to chapter 21. Jesus is journeying to Jerusalem to die. Jesus is journeying, the crowd is journeying with a misplaced hope, deliverance from Roman rule. Verses 1 through 5. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, the mountain of Olives, Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. 
This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a coat with a foil of a beast of burden. The journey to Jerusalem stops short at Bethpage at the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives is about a mile and a half east of Jerusalem. The reason they stop is because of the fulfillment of the prophecy from Zechariah 9 that we read earlier is going to be fulfilled. Jesus is the king, and he is the fulfillment of the long-awaited Messiah. You remember that the Israelites were looking for the promised Messiah, the one who would deliver them from Roman rule and restore them to their glory. You remember After Andrew met Jesus, he found his brother Simon Peter first and said, we have found the Messiah. We found him. So they were looking for who is this one? Who is the Messiah? And Jesus Christ is going to fulfill this prophecy in Zechariah 9.9. He will ride into Jerusalem on a colt. It is highly possible. Probable that no one connected the dots between Jesus and Zechariah during that time. The reason why I say that, because if you look in John 12, 16, right after that prophecy, John writes this. His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. And so we have the privilege of having the completed canon and looking back. But at that time, they probably didn't understand what was going on. We're just going to get a donkey and a coat. I started a new job last year at a company called Fresh Point. And during the orientation, our president, he would use a phrase that he wanted all of the associates to embrace and to live out. And the phrase was all in. All in. And his point was that the success of the company is dependent upon every employee being committed to their daily responsibilities since they impact the success of the rest of the team. So he wanted everyone all in, upper management, middle management, drivers, warehouse, everybody all in. All in. Jesus Christ stopping at this point to send two disciples into the village to get a donkey and a colt was a fulfillment of prophecy. But beloved, may this fulfillment minister to your soul. Your Savior was all in. He was all in. He was all in to fulfill the scriptures. He was all in to go through everything that he had just shared with the disciples He was all in to ride in on a donkey before you were conceived. He was all in to go on a cross for your sins before you had committed your first sin. He was all in to being despised and rejected so that Christ Church Roseville could be birthed. He sent two disciples to get a donkey and a colt. He was all in. He was all in long before you trusted in him and declared that you were all in. He was already all in. Jesus was all in before the foundation of the world. What about you? Are you all in? 
Are you all in? One of the marks of being all in is that you and I are growing in obedience to the word of God. There's others that we could, we could look at. But one is growing in obedience to the word of God. We're not told who the two disciples were. Maybe it was the Zebedee boys. Come here. Come here. I got something much y'all do. Right, left hand. Yeah, okay. Go get me that donkey and coat. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. We don't know. But verse 6 says, the disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. Once again, one of the marks of a professing follower of Christ is that you're all in, is that you're growing in obedience to the word of God. The disciples here obeyed the living word. They went and did as Jesus directed They obeyed the living word. Your love for Christ, my love for Christ, will display itself in our obedience to his commands. You remember Jesus said in John 8, 31 and 32 to some Jews who had believed, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. and You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Jesus says in John 15, 14 to his disciples, you are my friends if, if you do what I command you. Remember, James says in in James chapter 1, verse 22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Are you all in? Are you growing in obedience to the word of God? Let me ask you some questions. What are you currently doing to hear the voice of the living God in the word of God? What are you doing? What am I doing? How can you increase the time you spend in meditation in your life in the word of God? What do you need to stop doing or to do less of to be in the word of God? You can't obey the commands in scripture if you don't spend time in the scripture because you won't know the commands of God. Beloved, obey the word. Spend time in the word. Let the word nourish your souls. Do not be intimidated by the Bible. The Bible can be understood. He gave them the command to go get a donkey and a colt. I wonder if there's a donkey and colt-like command that Christ needs you to obey? Is there a donkey and cult-like command that he's working within your soul, getting, wanting you to obey? It could be that the donkey and cult-like command for you is to abstain from sexual immorality, whether you're single, married, divorced, or a widower. Maybe the donkey and cult-like command for you, young people, is to obey your parents. Maybe the donkey and cult-like command For you, men, is to love your wife as Christ loved the church. Well, the story tells us the disciples obeyed the word and they got the donkey and cold as Jesus directed them to. A donkey and a colt. 
You know, those two who went and got the donkey and the colt, they probably had no clue of the connection between what was happening, as we already said. I'm pretty sure they didn't. But Jesus knew the connection. Christ Church at Roseville, there may be a myriad of ways you serve. Many sacrifices you have made and will make. Pastor Jim, you preach and you teach and you counsel week in and week out. But may you all know this. This is for everyone, especially for Pastor Jim. Christ knows everything you do. You may not be able to connect it all. They probably couldn't connect the donkey and the cold, but Christ knows every sacrifice that you all make here, no matter what it is, in the nursery, with children, with the youth, singing, praying. He knows. He knows every sacrifice that you have made. Nothing you do for Christ is unimportant. Jesus said, if you give someone a cup of water, nothing you do is unimportant. And if that is so, think of the ways that you can serve here in this body. Think of the ways that you can plug in. And if you're already plugged in, praise the Lord. There may be other ways you can plug yourself in. I may also say this, beloved, guard your hearts and minds to protect you from thinking that you're too important for donkey and cult-like ministry. Nothing you do in service with Christ is devalued. Serve for the glory of God from the heart and entrust him with the final judgment of your work. Our last scene, the journey into Jerusalem, Matthew Matthew 21, 7 through 11. They brought the donkey and the colt and put them on their cloaks, put on them their cloaks. And he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds went before him and that him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Now, Jesus did not sit on both of the animals. But to make the travel comfortable, they put their cloaks on the animals and Jesus rolled the colt. And they put branches. They took branches from the tree. That's why they call it Palm Sunday. And they spread them on the road. They were preparing the way as if this is the red carpet. Here comes the king. This is a visible symbol of the honor from the crowd journeying with Jesus. But remember, what's driving their excitement, what's driving their joy is a misplaced hope. They're shouting and it comes out when they say, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna to the highest. That can be interpreted as a Prayer or as a praise comes from Psalms 118.25 where it says, Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Save us. That's the prayer. But over time, it shifted to a praise. 
Salvation, that was the request. Salvation, salvation. Hosanna means salvation. And so what is happening here, the people are continually shouting, salvation, salvation to the son of David. That's a messianic title, salvation to him. He comes in the name of the Lord. They are excited. Now is the time. They've seen him heal people. They've seen him do all kind of things, and they're excited. This is it. Rome is coming down. Salvation. They were right in saying salvation but they were misplaced in how it would come about. One writer said about the city that during this time, the Passover, the number swelled from 70,000 to some 250,000. And people are asking, who is this? And they say, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth. The crowd in Jerusalem is excited. They could not deny the spectacle of Jesus' entrance and the continuous shouting of salvation, salvation, salvation. The question on the table was, who is this? Who is this? Well, this morning, as we've walked through chapter 20 and 21, who is this? He is Jesus Christ. He's the promised Messiah who is obligated to obey the Father. Who is this? It's Jesus Christ, God the Father's only offer of peace to those who have never trusted in him for salvation. And, and maybe you're here this morning. Christ offers peace. He offers peace in his perfect life and death. And God says, I give no other offer. If we had a table between us, God on one side and you on the other side, there's nothing that you could push across and say, I offer this in place of my sins. He would not accept it. The only offer is coming from the other side of the table. I offer my son. That's it. If you accepted the offer of peace in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Who is this? He is your only hope to be saved from the wrath of God. Who is this? He is the one you need to go all in with and trust him every day of your life. So this morning we've journeyed through Matthew 20 and 21. I've laid before you this point from the story. Jesus is obligated to obey his father's plans. He was all in. But Jesus is not obligated to obey the misplaced hopes and plans of you or any would-be followers. He didn't have to obey what Mama Zebedee said. He didn't have to obey what the crowd was shouting. He had to obey what his father wanted him to do, to die on a cross. And so may your soul be encouraged that Jesus was all in for your justification, sanctification, and ultimately, he's all in for your glorification. Long before you were all in with him. So Christ Church, Roseville, hope, plan, dream, but hold your hopes loosely. And hold tight to the faithfulness of God and his promises in Scripture. 
Will you pray with me?